Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. In what should have been US Open week, we look back on the PGA Tour's first event in three months and preview this week's RBC Heritage. Hi guys, Justin Rose here and welcome to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, supported by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. To find out more, go to titleist.co.uk. My name's Tom Clark, and as ever, I am joined by Elliot Heath. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Tom. And also Nick Bonfield. How are you doing, Nick? Hello, Klaza. Very well, thanks. You good? Yep, all good, all good. Again, we're doing this remotely. We're using some new software this week, so that's, uh, I mean, not exciting at all, but hopefully it'll work. And I think, as ever, let's start by saying, Elliot, how did you play golf at the weekend? Did you play well? Well, I've actually played twice since we last had a podcast. I played at Swinley Forest last week. Uh, had to essentially walk in on the last six holes because it was too wet. And a one hole, I actually flung my driver about 50 yards because I let go of it because it was so wet. So I'll definitely be invested in some wet weather gloves. And then at the weekend... Chopped it for the front nine, shot one over on the back. So that's my second back nine of one over since golf has restarted. But I just can't put together 18 holes yet. So, so did, you did, sky, did you skive off work last week to play golf at Swindley Forest, Elliot? No, no, it was with the artisan section and you, you have to tee off after 5pm. So we uh, teed off, yeah, about five o'clock. And also he got permission to do so as well, I'm sure, didn't you, Elliot? Who, who gave you permission? Uh, probably you. Oh. Yeah, it was me. Um, oh, what a kind boss you are, Clazer. <laughs> oh, no, well, I am. Probably you're the one who brought me up. I also I played golf on Friday. Somehow thought we were going to get absolutely soaked, but actually we missed, managed to miss the rain and had almost exactly the same round of golf, although it was on a different course to the previous week where I managed to shoot seven points on the front nine and 17 on the back nine, showing that I really probably should hit some balls in the range before I go out and play or something like that. But I played at Abridge Golf course again an Essex classic brilliant course but the quickest greens I've putted on in a long time and um, I struggled around the greens I'll be honest with you. Uh, also uh, I was four down after six holes me and my mate against my dad and my mate and we won two up so oh, nice. we won like five holes in a row at one point to go from four down to one up. I can't yeah. wait to have a story about playing golf again, and I'll have this in T minus three days. I know, yeah. First time I've swung a golf club for six months. I'm uh, looking forward to that. It looks like we're going to get rained on then as well. But it does at, it. This point, at this point, I don't care. I'm just looking forward to getting out and playing some golf again. Yeah. And yeah, have, we, have, you, have you worked out how you hit your golf clubs? The golf clubs have been picked up. They are with <laughs> our boss, Mike Harris, and he's going to deliver them to Fox Hills on Friday. And then I will have them with me in London so I can hopefully play lots more. I think we should leave them somewhere in the country and give you like a series of clues to um... <laughs> please track down your golf clubs. <laughs> so, so Nigel, does that mean you're going to start playing around the Croydon area a bit more next? I few think so. Weeks? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably try and get a tee time at Waldingham if possible. I really like that golf course mainly because it's virtually impossible to lose a ball, which is very helpful for me given that I spray it about 100 yards off the tee like every third hole. Uh, and I've broken 80 there before as well. It's one of the th- Two courses that I've broken 80 on. Nice. What was the other one? The other one was actually Fox Hills. Oh. The, the, uh, the, long, the long cross at, at Fox Hills. And remarkably, 
I played the last six holes and one under par to shoot sixty. Uh, to shoot six, no, seventy nine. Definitely not sixty nine. Uh, to shoot seventy nine. Pretty oh, good. For a, pretty good for a fourteen handicapper playing the last six holes and one under. So you're yeah. you're. So we're playing Fox Hills on Friday, and um, your odds have now dropped now that you've let slip that you've you score very well around there. So it's very it's very tight and tree lined in places though, so it's not really the kind of golf course that suits me. Oh no, we're playing the other one. We're playing the Bernard Hunt. Uh, yeah, they're both, there's both trees I, everywhere. I know trees I know everywhere. But anything to make sure that uh, Nick gets a handicap cut is um is, is good for me. Yeah, um, going to play off eighteen, I think. One really good thing about Fox Hills is uh, both courses have really good halfway huts. So uh, the ninth on the Bernard Hunt's a lovely little short par four up the hill, and there's a great little halfway hut at the back mm. of the green, which is open apparently. So. If you miss right on that hole, you're in so much trouble. Nick, Nick yeah. I don't care about the hole. I'm just interested in the halfway hut. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but, well, I, I, I can confirm they do a very good sausage and egg bap in there. So I'll be you happy can. about that. Talking of a uh, golf course eating establishments at Abridge, they've got a brand. They've not knocked down half their clubhouse and built this brand new, awesome-looking bar area, which now overlooks their 18th green. Looks absolutely fantastic, but you can't go in there at the moment. So, um, quite well, not long now. Hopefully, going back and uh, having a beer there. July. Yeah, but well, we've got lots of golf stories there, and there's been loads of golf stories this week. Not all about us chopping it around different kind of golf courses, but uh, the PJ Tour returned with the Charles Schwab Challenge, and it was a really exciting event, and they had a very good finish. Daniel Berger won on the first playoff hole after Colin Morikawa lipped out from about three foot to extend the playoff. Uh, it's Berger's third PJ Tour title and first in three years. He's now shot 28 consecutive rounds under par on the PJ Tour, which is decent, uh, a decent run. Strangely, he's won all three PJ Tour events in the second week of June. That's my, definitely my favourite stat of, of the week. And he's now up to 31st in the world, having been down as low as 160th earlier this year, uh, mainly because he's been struggling with a bit of uh, injury and form. So before we go and chat about a million other things which happened at the weekend, let's talk about Daniel Berger. Now, he's obviously won three times on the PGA Tour. He has represented the USA team at the 2017 President's Cup. But do you think he's now someone that could push for this year's Ryder Cup and even maybe push towards getting into the top 10 in the world? Uh, He'll definitely have the Ryder Cup on his radar. Yeah, I wrote that in a piece on the website this week. Whether he... He can get to top 10. It remains to be seen. Obviously, there's so many great players out there. But it was a very clutch finish. He's obviously in phenomenal form at the moment. But uh, obviously, he hasn't won in three years. He's only won three times. So, I would probably say no to top 10. But clearly a great player. A lot of potential. I'd, I'd certainly agree with Elliot on that point. I think, as you said, it's just extremely congested at the top end of the world rankings. And I think if you look at other players in and around him... I would say they have a slightly better chance of forcing their way into the top 10. You look at his golf swing. I don't want to say that it's not a golf swing that's going to hold up well under pressure because obviously he just won in the playoff. But it's not certainly not as tight as some other players up there. I mean, not that that necessarily matters that much. We've seen a lot of players down the years with dodgy swings who have performed at the highest level. I'm thinking Jim Furyk is the one that springs most prominently to mind. But if you're asking me right now, you know, to put a significant amount of money on whether he makes the Ryder Cup team or not or gets into the world's top 10, I would say no, simply by virtue of the fact that there are so many good players in the world today. But that shouldn't take anything away from his performance. Birding the 18th 
you know, to get into the playoff is very clutch. And then obviously in the playoff, great tee shot. His second shot looked like it was going to be stone dead probably to him in the fairway. And it just um, sprang through the, the back of the green to leave actually quite a tricky chip shot. And he played that very well. So I don't think anyone can stand here and say that he wasn't deserving of that victory. I yeah, think when... it's... I think, it's, hang on, Elliot. I think it's just fantastic that Nick is uh, abusing other people's golf swings or professional golfers. Uh, we must make sure to record your first swing back. Uh, uh, By all means, I don't mind if you laugh at me. That's <laughs> I, I did notice honest, that you've got an awful sw- swing, to be honest with you. And um, you look at some other people who is around him, you, look, you know, and look at people who've done well. You look at Jordan Speeds, crikey. You know, he's got, he always looks like he's got issues, but he looked back to playing well, didn't he? So um, I think Berg's got a chance. The, the thing now, he's back in that top 50. And we always say, once you're back in the top 50, that opens up so many doors. Uh, you know, you get to play in obviously all the majors pretty much and all the WGC. So there's an awful lot of world ranking points and money to be won. And, you know, you've got to be in that top 50 first off to, to have all those chances, really. So um, I think he's got a pretty decent chance. And, because there's six wildcard picks now as well, if you are suddenly a man in form ahead of the Ryder Cup, you're going to probably be looked at a bit closer than you were before. So I think he's got a decent chance to make the Ryder Cup, to be honest with you. Especially if he, if he wins again, you've got to think he's in, right? Yeah, With but yeah but absolutely. I know he's only won once, but that, that stat of he's made 28 um, what rounds under par or whatever, then, you know, that's showing that he's being really consistent anyway, isn't he? So... Um, I think he's he's got a decent chance. I mean, let's let's. Do, I mean, I don't want to just chat about Daniel Berger because he's there's so many different stories that we've got to talk about. But I do want to also mention Colin Morikawa as well. Some of the stats around his performance since since turning pro have been incredible, haven't they? I mean, how many cuts has he made in a row? Twenty-one in a row, I think. Yeah. So I mean, that's outrageous. I think he's the only person who's done better than that is Tiger. Is that right? Yeah. In the last thirty years, Tiger is the only person. To have done that since turning pro, uh, incredible. Yeah, he looks, a, a looks a hell of a player, one. doesn't he? Looks a looks a brilliant player, and he looks very. I thought he looked very composed throughout the whole whole round as well. I mean, I know he made mistakes at the end, uh, had the unfortunate lip out in the playoff, could have secured victory with a, that six fitter on on eighteen. But I thought he dealt with the situation really well for the most part, and he looks a heck of a player. I mean, his his long game is superb, isn't it? And then obviously he coupled that with holding a couple of long putts. Well, there was one on. Was it 14 or 15 where he hold about a 50 footer? Because um, they were saying on the broadcast actually that he's got a great long game, but his chipping and putting could be improved. And then he went and knocked that in, I think, a couple of minutes afterwards. So if he can just get 10% better on the greens, then I think he's got enormous potential. And to me, he's a definite future sort of world top five player. Yeah, definitely. And he, yeah. He's one that I'm always now looking at his odds. Uh, I mean, looking at he's playing again this week and he's. He's about a 30 to 1 you can get him at, which I think is quite long, to be honest with you. Because he's just not one of those big names at the moment, he's not going to have that much money put on him and um, get as much uh, of the limelight as some of the other players for obvious reasons. So um, he's another person I think that people have got to start really looking out for. And I think you're right. He's he's going to be up there. Isn't he? He's going to get top 20 before we know it, I think. So, um, yeah, that's really good. So let's talk about the return of golf on the PGA Tour. There was no fans, for example, around the uh, around the fairways, around the greens. Did we miss them? I don't think we did as much as perhaps we expected to. I thought the golf was fantastic. And, yeah, it was just so entertaining that I never really once thought, oh, God, I miss those crowds cheering or clapping. There were quite a few comments from the players that they missed that and they didn't quite know where they stood 
and you know they didn't hear the roars or hear cheers but uh, no I think golf has made a really good start back into the pro life football is is much more different and I think yeah probably our sport hasn't been as affected as much as what we were saying yesterday in a in a group chat and I think that's correct I honestly and I'm not just saying this because this is the new reality that we're faced with I didn't miss the crowd one iota genuinely so it's a brilliant tournament and I think the great thing about golf that makes it distinct is that the pre- most pressure comes from you know most pressure comes internally comes from players looking at the leaderboard and saying crikey enough he's just made birdie here I've got to make a three down the 18th to get into a playoff that's where the pressure comes from much more than the fans uh, and you could see that on the faces of the players I mean you saw the anguish on the face of uh, Xander Schofle a couple of occasions and I also thought it was really interesting to see quite a few balls fly over the back of greens and settle into some tricky lies, not have the spectators trampling down rough. I thought it worked really well and honestly didn't miss the fans at all. Uh, I mean, certainly I, didn't, miss, certainly yeah. didn't miss hearing Baba Booey and Mashed Potato and all those things either. Well, no, you, you have to do it in your own sitting room now, don't you? Shout Mashed Potato at your TV every time there's a drive. But um, I thought there was a couple of moments where I, um, you know what, I'm... <laughs> Because, you know, you're in and out. When you're watching golf, you're not always just glued to the screen. You're probably looking at your mobile here and there and stuff like that. I think I actually missed a couple of big moments because there wasn't the big cheer or there wasn't the gasps or something like that. Um, so, and you this, need to work on your attention span then, I think. Well, that's, that's, what, I know, well, that's what, what having two kids will do for you, Nigel. You, you wouldn't understand. But, um, you know, I'm just trying to get some sleep most of the time. So I think there was the odd moment where I think that... that it would have been would have been good. And I think actually having the crowds, you know, the gathering around the last few holes for the end of every PGA Tour event where you have these big galleries, actually, I think are really good moments every week. We know that they're going to come. So um, although I didn't miss it, I'm really looking forward to fans coming back still, uh, even if they're not quite up to the size of what they would have been before. It's great that golf can do it and get away with it, uh, but I still want the fans there, to be honest with you. Also, uh, you know, we had a very, very good tournament with a very exciting finish with a great field. It would be interesting to see the impact on a lesser event, you know, where there's not much drama on the final day and how the, the lack of crowds affects that. But someone asked me yesterday whether I would have enjoyed it more had there been crowds. And I obviously it's impossible to say because it's hypothetical, but I honestly think the answer would have been no for me, genuinely. Yeah, that's yeah, again, was, again, maybe, maybe part of that was just the excitement of having professional golf back again. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that, and it's it was great, but I still think it's better with the fans. Without no, I, I would agree with you. I'd agree with you. But as, as, as annoying as some fans can be, um, they also do add to the to the atmosphere, uh, and it's still it's not quite the same celebrating in front of a of an empty course. You know, I think you know that we want to see the players interacting with the fans when they can and being congratulated. So, how, how good was it having what four or five players needing to make putts on the seventy-second green to get into a playoff? Yeah. So, so you had Rose, DeChambeau, you had um, Jason Kokrak, who played really well, didn't he, on the final round? Mm. Came through the field. I think he shot six under, and then Daniel Berger finally holding one, and then Morikawa missing. And then the drama of Chauffle lipping out on 17, then the lip out in the playoff, and then Chauffle going in the water and holding that tram line and to save bogey. It was, there was so much going on that you forget about looking back. It was just a brilliant tournament. If, if no one uh, saw the tournament, you've just given them uh, a, a brief highlights there. Oh. Um, so, so, yeah, so there's a, a, a couple of other things. You've already mentioned Bryson, and we're going to come on to Bryson in a minute. Um, but I think the, the other thing that we need to say is that 
are, with everything that's been going on, and we've been chatting so much about golf and, oh, is there fans there or fans not there? The biggest thing and the, the best thing is that it appears that golf returned and golf returned safely. Uh, so there was no positive tests for the players. There was no positive tests for the caddies or anybody else that we've heard of around uh, the event, which is fantastic news. And I know this is the first week and the first start, but that is the biggest news, isn't it? That golf has returned and golf has returned safely. I think, I think those figures are testament to A, the players being responsible and B, the robust safety protocols that are in place. And we should absolutely laud the PGA Tour for those. Yeah, because it, I mean, it is likely that in the coming weeks, someone is going to test positive. That's going to probably happen mm. uh, just with that, you know, with everything that's going on at the moment. And that's where gonna, those procedures are going to be really tested, as it were. The tests are being tested or whatever. But um, yeah, that, let, let's hope that, you know, that we can continue to talk about the go- golf and, you know, trying to get the fans back in and things like that. And the great play and the great entertainment that the sport uh, brings to everybody uh, rather than anything else because I think we all need that at the moment, don't we? Um, um, and what, what an advert this tournament would have been for maybe casual golf fans or people who don't really watch many events outside of the majors who were persuaded to watch because simply by virtue of the fact that it was the only live sport that they could watch. So hopefully that's encouraged new new people to come in and tune in next week as well and, and hopefully it delivers next week as well. Yeah, that's it. So one one big, big talking point was a big, big man. He's <laughs> a big, big na- man now, anyway, and that's Bryson DeChambeau, who before lockdown, we'd seen that his body shape had changed slightly. He gained a bit of muscle, and he'd been saying that he'd been really trying to work out and be able to hit the ball a bit further. But like the rest of us, and especially me and Nick, it would appear that uh, Mr. DeChambeau has decided to to put away a few uh, snacks over lockdown period. But unlike me and Nick, he's also then been going to, to the gym and... Speak for, you, speak for yourself, Klaus. I've been doing a lot of exercise, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, he, he's really bulked up. He put on uh, over £20 over the break. What is £20 in money? That's stone and a half, over a stone and a half. That's, that's a lot. Uh, and he... You know, he, he looked massive. <laughs> Let's face it, he looked huge. I don't know what size T-shirt he's wearing now. Probably got as many X's as I have. So, uh, but, he, but he was actually showed that he, the performance on the course, he actually made a positive difference. He averaged over, listen to this, 340 yards off the tee. And did that affect his short game? Well, not so much. He only finished one back from the playoff after he bogeyed 17. This is amazing from the, from the scientist you know we've we've always known that he takes everything you know takes every, every little thing he can get and he looks at everything in absolutely minute detail but i think we're all surprised by this occurrence weren't we yeah it was great to see it was added some entertainment definitely seeing deshambo fully unwind and hit them 350 down there i mean an average of 340 yards was just ridiculous i think in the first round he was 40 yards past DJ on average. So this has clearly worked for him. And we saw Colin Montgomery say that there should be a tournament ball introduced. He's calling golf nowadays uh, brute force and a sandwich. And I, I hope that DeChambeau doesn't get criticised for this, for doing what is completely within the rules. It's, it's really good what he's done. He's, you know, bettered himself. And yeah, yeah. Good, on, good on him. It's, and it's clearly worked. He's, he's done it through hard work, hasn't he? He's done yeah. it through, through, through coming up with an idea 
and going through with it, which he seems to do with most things in his life, doesn't he? And, um, you know, it, absolutely fair play to say, right, look, this is what you do. If you put in the effort and you make the sacrifices and do as much as I've been doing, this is actually what you can do to help your game. Uh, Huge amount of time for Bryson. He carries the ball 325 yards now. It's absolutely ridiculous. And as you say, he's identified, he sat down with his team and identified an area for improvement and worked ridiculously hard to do that. He's going to the gym three times a day. You know, I struggle <laughs> to go to the gym three times a week and pat myself on the back when I manage it. That's an incredible effort. And I just think he's a really different, interesting, smart guy. And I think he's really refreshing. And it was so great not to hear people say the golfing scientist or talk about slow play with, with regards to Bryson. He's worked on his pace of play. He hits the ball miles now. And he's trying to develop competitive advantage by using all the tools at his disposal. And mm. how can he do anything other than be impressed by that? How can he do anything other than lord that? Um, other, other players can, can look at that and hopefully sort of learn from his example because there clearly are advantages to be gained from his approach. And, and well done to him for noticing that and for, uh, for working really hard to achieve his goals. When he was first on tour, I know he's been around for a few years now, but I, I remember not that long ago that he was actually considered to be quite a short player. You know, yeah. I don't think he was averaging under 300, well under, I think he was about 270, 280 with the driver. So the real, he really has worked hard on that part of the game and he's really seen that is the place where he thinks there's the biggest advantage to be had um, and it showed. Now, the thing I do worry about him, when you change your body shape so dramatically like that, are there going to be stresses on your frame? Is there going to be injuries? Is his short game touch going to, to fail him or or be affected by that? We'll wait and see. At the moment, it looked, one tournament, it looked like he's had it all, all in check, but I think it's going to be the longevity. Um, yeah, I suppose it's sustainability as well, right? Is, is he going to keep up the motivation? If, if he suddenly finds himself in a slump and is playing poorly, is he going to retain the motivation to go to the gym every day? You know, those sorts of things. Then is he going to put on more? Is some of that muscle maybe going to turn to fat? Will that present problems in its own right? Again, this is all hypothetical. Who knows? But for now, I think we just celebrate what he's done and enjoy watching him play because he's become extremely exciting to watch. And you think back to that video of him on the putting green taking more than two minutes. That was only last year. You know, he's a totally unrecognisable player uh, since then, and, and credit to him for that. So what do we think about the Monty's uh, quotes about um, there being a tour golf ball? It's amazing that Bryson's now raised his head again, but this is now a chat that's been going on at, you know, for quite a while now. Are the pros now hitting it so far that, that we actually have to look at the equipment that they're using? No, not for me. I think that at this level, it's okay. Uh, any further accelerations, I think it would need to be looked at. But I, it hasn't gone up dramatically over the last couple of years from what I can see. And that's just me watching on TV and not studying the statistics. But when you start getting people carrying the ball sort of 340 and hitting drives that almost go 400 yards, that's a problem. But I don't see us getting there. Uh, and I think it's okay as it is. But any further acceleration, I think it probably needs to be looked at. Plus, I, I'm always an advocate of altering course setup to, to inform strategy too, and I don't think enough is done in that regard either. You know, narrowing in fairways really tightly around the 350-yard mark, those sorts of things that you can do to influence players into hitting three woods and irons off tees. Yeah, I think you've got to respect Montgomery, though, an eight-time Order of Merit winner on the European Tour, and the likes of Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, all these legendary golfers or, you know, esteemed players all do kind of say the same thing, especially 
uh, Nick Faldo said something recently about reducing the driver head. Faldo's also said get rid of golf tees as well. So I, I think there definitely could be some kind of modification in terms of equipment coming uh, maybe in the next five years or so. Will full bifurcation with a, a different golf ball coming? I don't know. But that would be quite drastic. I think, I, think, I mean, we've, we've immediately, you know, you've, straight away, there's lots of different things I think that can be done in the pro game if they want to save some of the courses from where they are. And there is lots of things that people aren't, you know, having to really think about at the moment. And the course setup is completely one of them. Unfortunately, there is also a lot of tournaments which just want the more birdies, the better. You know, the more birdies, the more eagles, we'll have them. We don't really care. You know, it's entertaining. People like to see it. Even if it's a driver wedge every hole, people like to see that. Um, I, I think the issue, the, the thing that I object to the most and what I don't really enjoy watching is a 7,800-yard course with massively wide fairways where players can just bomb it down there, 360 and flip in a wedge. This course, the Colonial course, is really interesting because the people being aggressive when perhaps they shouldn't have been. And I feel like if you take on that risk by hitting a lot of drivers on a tree-lined golf course like that, and are successful, then fair enough, you've executed your strategy well. Uh, and I think it's great to play golf and professional golf on those sorts of courses where someone like a Kevin Kisner or a Plotter has as much chance of winning with their strategy as someone like Bryson, who's deciding to pull driver on more holes than, than average. And, and I think course setup and the style of course is, is kind of inherent to this discussion as well. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, is it time that there maybe was fewer clubs in the back? You know, things like that. I think there's lots of things that the game could look at. You know, having fewer, allowing fewer clubs in the bag, I think, could um, could help with the cost of playing golf for your recreational golfer and perhaps mean that um, golf, uh, pros have to maybe think about their strategy a little bit more, about where they leave, the, leave their, their shots and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think there's plenty to do and the, the world's governing bodies have plenty to think about. Uh, or they might just um, like to crack on. I think. Yeah, um, I think. I think. As I said, it, it's good when someone hits a takes on a, a drive that's quite risky, messes up, and gets stuck behind a tree. That's exciting because they know that if they step up and execute and hit a good drive, there's probably they're probably odds on to make birdie. But they also know that there's that risk there, and I think that makes it much more enjoyable to watch for the viewer, uh, where, rather than someone just pulling out a driver on an op open wide golf course, hitting it three fifty and be able to gouge out a wedge onto the green. So Colonial, I thought, was a really, really good test, and, and I really enjoyed the strategies and the different strategies that different players took. Yeah, and let's let's talk about some other players. So Xander Schofley, also another person who's been playing really consistently, had a, another one of those lip-outs on the 17, which meant he missed out on the playoff by one stroke. Going from strength to strength at the moment? Yeah, he's a class player, isn't he? I really expected him to finish that off. It was quite a surprise, and... A surprising stat is that he has failed to convert all three of his 54-hole leads on the PGA Tour. So, obviously, he likes to come through the field on the final days. But, yeah, it was a surprise to see him miss that putt. I don't know if he hit a bad putt or if he just misread it. But, uh, yeah, it's just such a dramatic final day, wasn't it? I think Schofler is an absolutely wonderful player and I'm convinced he's going to win majors. Uh, I think he's got a lovely, lovely game. Absolutely, absolutely. He, he's someone that we're going to definitely look at. So one, another person who we need to chat about, who we actually picked last week at 50-1, to 1, who actually finished only shot back, was Justin Rose. Um, back with some non-Honma clubs and 
know, he's had some good headlines. He seems to be in a good place mentally as well. He's, he's obviously um, sponsored the Ladies Series event as well. And he looks back to playing some of his best golf, didn't he? Yeah, it was rosy at his best. It was brilliant. I really thought he was uh, going to get in that playoff. That putt he hit on the last was just, it looked perfect. And you saw on his facial expression just how devastated he was to miss it. I think he just literally just shouted no because he was certain it was in like three foot away. Uh, but yeah, when you see him playing like that and putting like that, especially, you just think, what went wrong last year? But uh, yeah, hopefully he can continue playing like that and climb back up the world rankings. You're so right. I mean, the putting, I think he was, what, second in the putting stats, certainly heading into the final round. He looks so secure on those six footers now. And you just compare that and contrast that to five years ago where he would miss all the time from the sort of four to eight foot range. And he just looks so stable there now. Um, for him, it was just a case of the par five scoring, I think, on that last day. I mean, he finished one shot behind the playoff, bogeyed the uh, bogeyed the 11th when he three whacked it and also didn't, didn't birdie the first hole. Uh, you think if he makes birdie on the first hole and pars 11, then he wins the golf tournament. That's how close he was to winning. And I think he shot a couple over on the back nine as well. Certainly a couple over for the last few holes on the Saturday as well. So he made a fair few mistakes and still only finished one shot back in a packed world-class leaderboard. So that's going to offer him so much encouragement going forward. Yeah, I thought he looked brilliant. He looked happier. He looked back to where he was a couple of years ago. I'm really expecting him now to have a really good end to the this whole second half of the year. Um, which is great to see. And another person we need to talk about who suddenly had a renaissance, Jordan Spieth. Second top 10 of the year, held the lead at times during the week, looked much, much better, looked much more in control of his ball, a bit happier, putting well again. Is Spieth back? The, the key there is, as you said, putting well again. And... He, he's back now to the point where you think he's going to hold every 25-footer. His putting from mid-range is absolutely ridiculous, and that was what propelled him to so much success a couple of years back. And he still had a, quite a dodgy long game back then, and obviously he still needs to, to work on that as well a little bit. But I think the fact that his putting has returned and he's draining so many 25-footers is, is really positive. Yeah. yeah, it's great to see him back. I'm a huge speed fan. And, uh, yeah, I think he, he putted quite well last year. I think he might have even been second on tour. So, you know, long game was, was very dodgy last year. But, yeah, he, he, it's great to see him back. He couldn't put 72 holes together, could he? He'd have three really decent rounds and then have an absolute nightmare one round. And I, that's what I was expecting to, him to do this week. But, actually, I know he shot 71 final day and finished, you know, not that far back. So, um, I think he, he's looking good. And then the last person I want to chat about was Rory McIlroy. So we thought he might have a challenge and he looked decent after round two. He shot, what, 63 in round two? But shot four over in the final round to drop to 32nd after he had a six over front nine. Only three out of six some players shot worse than McIlroy in the final round. It's only his second finish outside the top 10 anywhere since August. So, you know, he's been playing very, very well and we'd like to see Rory competing and playing at his best every single round. But, you know, first tournament back, I think we've got to take everything with a slight pinch of salt. I thought Rory actually looked pretty good over most of the tournament. Well, uh, it was kind of like we've seen him all year, really. I don't want to do this and, you know, just get straight back on that horse. Because all I've been doing all year is saying, oh, yeah, he played great, but he just couldn't finish it off. And there was a lot going around on social media about McElroy and Sundays. So I will just say that, the stat that he hasn't finished outside the top 10 since August anywhere 
um, only once, sorry, this was the second time. Just shows how good he is and, you know, maybe he's rusty. I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt this week. Yeah, I suppose first week back, benefit of the doubt. And I think with Rory as well, was like, A, he's never been that great in difficult conditions and the conditions were certainly more more challenging on the Sunday than the rest of the week. And also, he dropped a couple of shots early and Rory's the kind of player that when he cut, when he in his heart of hearts knows that he can't win a golf tournament, he kind of gets deflated and I think that affects him a little bit as well. So I think those two factors have combined to explain his poor front line. I mean, it still came... From absolutely nowhere. I mean, did he? Did he? Was it a shank on the his, his second to the first, or or was it just a really really wayward shot? I think uh, you had to ask him that, but um, <laughs> obviously, you know, he didn't do. He, he, didn't, he didn't execute it how he wanted to. Obviously, I mean, he would have known coming from ten under par that he needed to get off to a fast start, and and players were burning the first and second holes all week long, and so. To, to be a couple of a couple over after three, I think probably knew at that point that his chances were, were gone. And I think that probably just deflated him a little bit and, and that explains his finish. Yeah. But we'll, we'll hopefully, well, he's got a, a chance to bounce right back because he is playing this week. And we're going to talk about this week now. Uh, it's the RPC Heritage. Uh, the World's Top Five are playing again uh, on Hilton Head Island. This tournament usually takes place a week after Augusta. CT Pan beat Matt Kuchar by one here last year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest here. I cannot remember that happening at all, but apparently it did. Um, DJ held the 54 hole lead last year and shot a final round 77 to drop away. Pan plays with McRoy and Fowler in one of the featured groups. Uh, Rory hasn't played in this event since 2009. Rose playing for the first time since 2008, and Ram making his debut at Harbour Town. Now I absolutely love this course. But because of where it is in the schedule, we never get the big names there because it's mm. after Augusta and everyone's having a week off and chilling after the biggest, you know, well, the biggest week of, of the year, really. I think I've really, really liked this course. It's, it should, usually leads to really exciting golf as well, and it's not that easy. And, and this last out, the last four champions here were all first-time PJ Tour winners. But we've got a much better field this week. So who do we think is going to do well? Straight in. I've picked a few this week. Uh, from that list, I will go for Luke List. Luke List won on the Vaughan Ferry Bowl last week. And he's at 125 to 1. So he's got to be worth a couple of quid each way, hasn't it? Luke oh. List. What, what a man Luke List is. He won me about £500 at the PGA last year. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, totally random and improbable top six, six or seven finish there. That was great. So I, I'm, I would support that decision, Elliot, and I might put my hand in my pocket and put some money on loot list too. And, and it's one of our one of the uh, tactics around betting tips is, is you know, look at who's actually been playing well in recent times. It's very hard usually if you go back to back because it's so much emotion and so much energy into going to win any tournament. I feel, but um, you know, winning on the Corn Ferry Tour, you know, the one the tour just underneath the PGA Tour is a great start and. You know, when he plays, he's a very aggressive, high-scoring player. Um, and if he's on form, there's no reason why he can't shoot very low. Not so, really his style of golf course, though, is it, you would say? I mean, he's a big power hitter, hitter normally. So, Harvard Town is basically the opposite of that. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, that doesn't preclude him from contending. He's never won the PGA Tour either. So, that could be the fifth first-time winner yeah, of Harvard Town. Yeah, that would like that. Come on, Nick, Nick, who... who... Who have you looked at and like the look of? I'm going to go for someone that I actually put money on last week. He played pretty well, but didn't really threaten the leaderboard. 
Uh, Kevin Kisner. Yep. It's it's just a, the archetypal plotter's golf course, Harbour Town, as as Colonial was. And Kisner shot four rounds in the sixties last week. I think finished in the top twenty-five. Really good record at Harbour Town. I think he lost in the playoff there to Jim Fury a couple of years back. Has a uh, has had a couple of top fifteen since then as well. And it's just his style of golf course. He's also from Georgia, so he'll be familiar with the course and the surroundings too. So I will say Kevin Kisner, who I would expect. I haven't looked, but I would expect you could find him at. 50 to 1 or longer, which I think is a very yeah, good price for him on that board. Now, yeah, you can get him at, at, at definitely at 50 to 1. I'll be reinvesting some of my Justin Rose winnings into Kevin Kisner this week. Yeah, well, you, did, you didn't win, so you, I'm sure. Well, I, I won 90 pounds on him, so that was nice. Well, well, there you go. Congratulations. I like the look of, well, I like the look of Rose. I'm going to be honest with you. Rose is still at 30 to 1 this week, even after a very good week last week. Rose and, is 30 to 1. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's wow. hard to ignore. And also Sung Jae-im as well, who, again, I picked last week. He finished 10th, just out of the each-way money, but played very well, I thought. And he continues to to really impress every time he tees it up. Again, not that popular a name at the moment because people just don't know who he is. So I think, you know, there too, I'm, I'll, I'll definitely be picking. There's also some really long odds, which I just want to just note. Kutka, you can get a 40 to 1 now. DJ, you're going to be able to get 45 to 50 to 1. You know, as we've already mentioned, DJ was the 54-hole leader there last year. Um, so because of there's so many players, it's, it's strange this year. There's, a lot of the big names aren't actually playing that well at the moment. And because of that, their odds have now slipped to quite quite decent length. And you know with those guys, they don't always, they don't stay down long, stay down for long. So... Um, I think there's some opportunities around them. So if there is someone that you uh, like the look of, do do back them. But for all the golf betting tips, do check out our article on the Golf Monthly website. Just Google golf betting tips and you should be able to find our link or go straight to the Golf Monthly website. Anything else we want to say about Hilton Head? Uh, I'll just echo what you said there, Tom, about how it's it's always after Augusta, so it doesn't get the field that it perhaps deserves and I'm just really looking forward to seeing the world's top five playing around Hilton Heads. Uh, you know, the tree-lined holes, you've got the marshy holes, uh, some really nice par threes there as well. So, yeah, it'd be great. Rory hasn't played there since he was 19 years old as well. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's awesome. So, looking forward, we've got other news and other things to look forward to. The Just Those Lady Series begins this week at Brockenhurst Manor, featuring the likes of Charlie Howell, Dame Laura Davis and Meg McLaren. And also, they've got a new sponsor, American Golfers Match Rose's £35,000 contribution. So, again, that's great that actually Justin Rose, I think, has helped get another sponsor on board. And it means the uh, ladies' game is getting a bit more support because they need as much as they can at this at these times, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. And credit again to Rosa and American Golf for coming on board. It'd be interesting to keep an eye on that series, actually. As you said, there's some some big names in contention. So this will possibly give us some clues as to how they're going to perform later in the year when, when the other tours are back up and running too. Yeah. And also great venues as well. Some venues that some people won't be, you know, that familiar with. But actually, you know, they're all dotted around the country. You've got these fantastic venues and this is going to be a great spotlight to have on them. Uh, and I really hope that some of these guys then pick up and more people who want to go out and travel and see them and play them. Yep. Uh, and there is also other news in the world of golf. Steve Stricker. Now, this is exciting. Steve Stricker is announced he's going to get six wildcard picks for the Ryder Cup, which says one thing to me, that the Ryder Cup is going to happen. 
because they yeah. wouldn't they wouldn't have announced this. They wouldn't have been talking about this unless the Ryder Cup is going to have to take place. And surely now, with these kind of announcements now coming out, Strickly also said he also dropped some hints saying, "Oh, you know what? If we could get fifty percent capacity uh, at Wisconsin, who he's obviously very much uh, wanting to back because that's where he's from, then that he'd also accept that as well." So I think some th- positive news about the Ryder Cup. Yeah, definitely. They must have known this now for a month or two and have been sitting on it until perhaps behind the scenes they've got the go-ahead to allow fans on site. I mean, they're not going to do the Ryder Cup without fans, I don't think, after what's been said by McElroy, by Stricker himself, by Kepka, uh, by John Rahm. So, so, yeah, good news. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the European Tour come back to this. Harrington told us on the podcast six weeks or so that there are mathematical formulas in place to pick the team no matter what. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what those are. Har- I mean, Harrington, I think, favours the order of merit approach more than the wildcard picks. I think Paul McGinley was saying in commentary that he doesn't. He thinks that being a wildcard pick exerts more pressure and he'd rather have fewer players playing under that pressure, which I suppose makes sense psychologically. But also the reality is coronavirus is happening, so he might need to alter his plans. But Podrick Harrington's a man who has all bases covered without a shadow of a doubt, so... As you say, it'll just be interesting to see see the response from the European Tour and, and also find out when that's going to happen. Hopefully, it'll be soon. Yeah, we, we think that there's going to be some kind of announcement by the end of the month, don't we? Whether it's confirming it's going ahead or not. Um, but the news, yeah, it, these whispers, the, these different things happening, I think it all points in one direction, to be honest with you. So uh, that, that's great. Um, another uh, another uh, event which is happening at a certain venue um, and was confirmed this week is the USPJ Championship is going to be played in San Francisco. It's been given the green light to go ahead in August, but there won't be fans at this event. Now, that may be due to where San Francisco is situated and the restrictions which are coming in place in California. We don't know, but they've decided, I think, they want to go ahead with it just to get it played at that course, at that venue, and go from there. No, I think it makes sense. Calif- I think California is one of the worst affected states in the US. So it's unsurprising to me that they don't want to admit fans in, in what, only a month and a bit's time, month and a half's time. Yeah. I, I mean, I really think they just want to get this played and they want to make sure that no one's affected by this. You know, the PGA Championship is probably one of those ones which is under threat of being played or not. You know, obviously the PGA Championship is somewhere where sometimes it's some... PGA pros, you know, teaching pros, local course pros get the chance to qualify. That's all been affected by things, I know. So, you know, there's lots of things to, to look at. I think they just want to try and get the event played in, in some form and then go look to plan ahead for next year. Mm. Yeah, no, no fans is a shame. But like we said already, uh, it shouldn't affect our viewing experience too much if the golf is entertaining. And albeit you, you still can't really put anything in concrete, but it's great news that a major is semi-confirmed for August, the first one of the year, that is. Absolutely, absolutely. And then the final news is that we've got a new issue of the magazine coming out this Thursday. Nick, what's in the latest issue out on Thursday? Yeah, as you say, Tom, it's a, it's a jam-packed issue that, that hits the shelves on Thursday. We've got interviews with Nick Faldo, Annika Sorenstam, Lee Westwood, Dustin Johnson, Podrick Harrington, Luke Donald. Um, we've got some instruction with Lee Westwood, 
and we have a special mental game supplement to uh, to help you improve your game without modifying your swing at all. So it should be a really good one, and we really enjoy putting it together, and, and we hope you, re you enjoy reading it too. And, and as you say, that's out on uh, on Thursday in two days' time. Uh, that uh, sounds really jam-packed. And this week, if you're interested in being a subscriber to the magazine, there's a special half-price subscription currently available if you go to the Golf Monthly website and follow the links. You'll be able to subscribe for half the price. So you get all that great content that Nick mentioned without having to spend too much money, which is fantastic. Guys, thanks ever so much for your time today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your usual provider and leave us a review if you'd like, as long as it's a good review. Also, of course, check out the Golf Monthly website and all the Golf Monthly social media channels. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as well. So do check it out. We've got lots of great content. Um, we've been all been missing golf, but we're filling that void. And it's now fantastic that the PJ Tour and professional golf is going again. Elliot and Nick, thank you very much for your time this week. Thanks a lot. Thank you. No worries. And we'll speak again next week. See you later.